Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Dope Black Woman podcast. The podcast where we share stories of black excellence as part of our safe digital sisterhood. I'm Leanne Levos. I'm Rashan. They can call me Shan. I'm Livs. On this week's podcast, we are joined by Triple Cripple. Hey everyone, how's everybody doing? Hot. Oh my god, how are Sweating. we surviving this heat? Listen. Um, yes, I concur with what everybody else has said. I'm in the middle of melting, but you happen to catch me. <laughs> the way well, I'm living right now. Thank you guys so much for joining us this week in the midst of all of this heat and suffering that we're going through. Um, so we're, today we're joined by Triple Cripple and uh, we have both of the founders of Triple Cripple, Kim Oliver and Jimoke Abdullahi. And we're going to ask you to tell us about what the platform is, but essentially it's a platform that you guys created to increase visibility and kind of explore the narratives of black and non-black women femmes uh, and non-binary people of color living with disabilities mm-hmm. who as we know are often not given the same level of visibility in the media and just in the public in general so we're really excited to have you guys join us and to discuss all things um, about this platform as well as get into some of the details of your personal lives the dating um, yeah. and everything else wow so thanks guys <laughs> <laughs> wow Hey, Jamaka, do you want to explain? Yeah. Oh, okay. The floor is mine. Well, um, I'm Jamaka Abdullahi, the Yoruba princess half of uh, the Triple Cripples. Yeah, you better come through with your snaps, baby. Um, Right. So the Triple Cripples uh, was created um, over two years ago now. Uh, to highlight and increase the narratives of disabled black and non-black women, femmes and non-binary people of colour. Now, what we try to do is um, utilise the awesome power of the media and the huge um, reach that it uh, provides on all its um, various different platforms through television, films, music, what have you. And use that to try and shift the culture and create, uh, bring about a paradigm, um, a cultural paradigm shift, essentially, where in the lack of representation of people that experience life the way that we do actually impacts them more so than I don't get mm. to see myself on the television screens. It yeah. impacts us in every single aspect of life that you could imagine in terms of education, in terms of healthcare, in terms of social mobility or lack thereof in interpersonal relationships. It affects us during life and it also affects us during death and oftentimes actually brings about a quicker death as well. And what we're trying to do is um, change all that, for lack of a better phrase, but this is where Kim will come in because 
I keep sweating. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good excuse, She's like, Reggie. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, I've, I'm, I've finished talking now. Yeah, so we use the media um, in ways that perhaps are not new, but in ways that are new in terms of representation for um, people with disabilities who look like us. So we do YouTube videos, we do interviews, we do lectures. We are what we are coining as the, hold on, wait, disabled, black cultural, no, hold on, wait, black disabled (laughs) culture. Cognoscenti. Is it cognoscenti? What Cognoscenti. Is it? Cognoscenti. 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 Yeah. We're trying to re- we're trying to introduce that. Let's I will um I will repeat it later so we can get a good take of that. But essentially we are <laughs> my baby did her best. <laughs> we talk on we talk about lots of different topics that these identities that we're talking about intersect with, right? And I think sometimes what happens when we are talking about intersections, we kind of and we're talking about people who talk about intersections, we kind of pigeonhole them into, okay, you can only talk about mm. social justice. And that's the, and your experience exists within this paradigm. It exists within the this these, these confines. And what I guess we try and do is say that actually these identities, it affects everything in life. It's not, we are whole human beings. And so our Mm -hmm. whole experience is tied into our identity, right? So if you're a black disabled woman, your, as Jamalke said, like your education is affected, your health outcomes are affected, but also your access to your own culture is affected. Can I, as a wheelchair Mm -hmm. user, get into the FET? Can I go there? If there's a circle FET happening, can I go? How accessible is Carnival? How accessible is the local party that's going Mm -hmm. on? And those types of things. don't think about that even in terms of your the idea in one of the interviews that we did when we were in Ghana they were asking about you know is there pressure on us to have children and all of that kind of stuff and it's like yeah but we are women Jumoke is a Nigerian Yoruba woman someone yeah. in her family yeah. is saying uh so when is the baby coming you know <laughs> somebody is saying that and it because she's disabled it doesn't change that but yes her disability does affect the way in people the way in which people interact with her so what does it mean for a disabled black woman who's from a nigerian background who's from a yoruba background who's from a muslim background as well to have to navigate that and be disabled Mm. how does the world receive her how does she interact with not just her faith but her family but and their culture and womanhood and all of those things and so it's kind of getting people to see that it is a Um, a holistic issue and has to be tackled as such but also more importantly getting people to understand that it is not um, a them and us situation our experiences our lived experiences are very much tied into your liberation Mm. and very much tied into your experiences because actually if life were a lot better for us like you man would be fine so if we all work together to make everything um accessible and more equitable like it's going to be better and especially look we're in a time when we're talking about blm and um black lives matter right and thinking about the value of black lives and if you if we as a community of black if the black community isn't looking after their most vulnerable and doesn't center their most vulnerable like there is nothing that the outside who does not value our lives is going to is going to do right to ensure that our lives are better because ultimately you're coming from a place where people already devalue you and so it's like if you are not centering the most vulnerable within that 
the the little value that they ascribe to you or the little things that they do for you are never going to be enough even for the most of you because they're already coming from a place of devaluing you right so we're saying look we are all relevant in this and let's fight for all of us so that whatever changes they make you know they will make some small small things and say yeah yeah we've done this we'll throw a little bit of money here we'll throw a little bit of money there and hopefully we'll get a few black representatives but we're saying let's go all the way right let's say okay no that's not enough it's not enough that you put a black cis man in an advert with a white woman and say yeah this is progress um put a disabled black woman in an advert with a black man and that's progress because that Mm. actually challenges more of a paradigm that actually creates a shift in understanding and mentality so um, I short. would just like to point black, black, out black, black. that um, this advert that Kim is creating um, available <laughs> for casting. Um, <laughs> hey, closed mouths do not get fed. And I'm trying to It's eat. so true. It's so true. <laughs> well, it's interesting, right? Because I was just about to ask you, one of the things that we generally ask both our guests when they come on is what makes them a dope black woman, which I think both of you have answered. But just to go back... Um, what were you, you guys are both powerhouses in your own right. So what were you doing before? How did you meet? And then what was the process in saying, like, let's bring this together and, and form Triple Cripple? Uh, so do, do you want the truth or a fantasy me. version? Do you want the real version? If you want the real version, ask me. We want the realness. We give us the real. Okay, here's, here's, here's the real. Feed you a lie. Okay, cool. You want lies? Yeah, but it'll be, it'll be delicious, it. though. It'll be delicious, though. <laughs> um, <laughs> so basically, once upon a time, um, it was very strange. We met on um, Instagram. So... Yeah. Instagram need to pay us coin, you know. Do you know how many times I said these people's names? Don't even worry about it. I'm, Let's I'm not gonna... say it anymore because these men are shadow banning everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. You're right. We met on a platform. On um, a platform. <laughs> on a platform. We met on and the internet, the World Wide Web. The yes. World Wide Web, exactly. And um, I had seen a video that Kim was a part of on our mutual friends page. And I was intrigued, you know, by her, this dope black woman known as Kim. (laughs) And um, I decided to find out, (laughs) I decided to find out more, essentially. And um, what I found out, I liked, and I decided to reach out. And what would now become the Triple Cripples and the very genesis of it was something that I had been thinking about, and also Kim had been thinking about for quite some time. But neither of us wanted to tackle such a huge undertaking by ourselves so for me Mm. it was it was definitely kismet um happening to see kim online Mm. and it was something that i'd wanted to do for a very long Mm. time having been disabled uh for practically all of my life essentially and um can i jim okay can i interrupt you just to say that it's important that no to on to honor you in the sense that one of the reasons why i didn't necessarily want to do or lead something like triple cripples is because i didn't feel that i had the place to because i hadn't been disabled my whole life I'd entered this situation and yeah, I saw all of these inequities and I thought they were wrong and I had um, the ability to talk and I could navigate kind of my own experience and I'd had experience, but I I felt like an imposter in a world that possibly existed before I came. And so, yeah, though I was doing my own thing on my little page, 
in terms of because I didn't see anyone like me, I didn't know anyone like me who had experienced what I experienced, a young black woman, all of a sudden fully disabled um, in a community that where I didn't actually know any black disabled women to be honest like I didn't other than old people like I didn't know any young I'd not seen even in my area like any young disabled black people so it was an isolating experience but I also knew based on my own experience yeah 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 no you don't um I knew based on my own experience that because I had become isolated due to being disabled i imagine that actually maybe all the rest of them are inside too i <laughs> can't access these places too but do i have a right to speak above people who've probably been experiencing what i've experienced and worse and so yeah it was um an amazing opportunity for jamoke to have reached out to me because although I knew I had value to give and that there was a space that I needed to speak from I didn't want to speak over experience and though Jamoke is only a few seconds younger than me in life she's my senior in terms of kind of living as a disabled person in the UK as a black disabled person in a lot of ways in terms of just having had that experience. Though our experiences are different and there are things that I've experienced that she hasn't and vice versa, she was um, a vet, as it were, in my world. And so it made sense that when she said, look, this is what I've been thinking of and I've been thinking of it, I said yes, because that it needs to happen and it's better that it happens with both sides of this coin. I just want to ask about the um, the actual name itself um, because, you know, cripple is obviously such a complicated word. It's wrapped up in so much history and so much pain. Mm. What made you say, no, that's that's the word we want to use. Like, it's important that we... Like, how did you come to the decision of what you wanted to call this platform? Nobody cares about disabled black women. So yeah. if we'd called it disabled black women, who would have listened no one and oh. so we had to think of a name that was um catchy and that actually people would pay attention to and actually tc triple cripples came out of a joke because i like him <laughs> likes to make too many jokes and and <laughs> then Jamal i Kerr, latched onto it <laughs> he latched onto it so actually the thing that's funny about this is that jamoke and i we met once before we had the planning meeting for um, triple cripples i didn't know her from adam she was my friend's friend and so but i we decided that you know what we're gonna just go ahead and just launch into this thing and i was as far as i was concerned i didn't need to like her either the work needed doing and from having had been part of things and been part of startups and all of those things from very young i had gotten to the point where i was like i do not need to be friends with someone that i'm trying to achieve something with what we need to be able to do is have a working relationship what we need to be able to do is get work done if you're someone i can get work done with fantastic i don't want to have any of that in between flim flam of oh is she nice is she like me what did that comment mean me i don't care let's we've got something to do let's do it <laughs> and jamak hair was just she was very much hard to read which was good for me because then i didn't have to think about that stuff but in that meeting that was the first time that i started to get to know her a little bit because when i made that joke in my head i was like oh shit oh 
Oh, God. <laughs> and she just started laughing. She was cracking up. I was like, yeah, because that's the kind of joke that I make. And she likes it. Okay, cool. We'll get along. We'll get along. We're going to get on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> on that note of like meeting each other, um, yeah. what was it actually like, though, of meeting another young black disabled woman? Because I remember the other day I was actually with Liv. Not the other day. I always say that. It was like a year ago. Um, <laughs> I was with Liv. And we were was, was talking to a black girl who lived, I think it was in Mottingham. And she was talking to us about her experiences of mm. microaggressions in the workplace. And it, went, it was meant to have been like a five-minute mm. conversation about like podcast, but it ended up being a deep conversation about microaggressions in the workplace. And the reason why it was so deep and so long was because that was the first time she had someone to talk about it. And it was the first time she was able to offload. So what was it like for you like, meeting someone who looked like you and shared similar experiences to you? I mean, Jamoke is a short lighty, so it wasn't really Yay. like someone that looked uh, like me. Yeah, you know, she she always does this. She always does this. Look, I would just like to, for the record, say that I am at the very beginning of brown skin. <laughs> I, I, you know, I am opening the door to brown skin. That is where I will leave this one. But am I short? Yes, that one I will have to give up. <laughs> No, it was, I don't know. For me, I didn't even, I thought about it, but I, I think for, to a degree, I'm a wheelchair user, so it was still a bit different for me. I recognised that we move through space differently, right? But it wasn't, and, and I, I keep saying this, it wasn't until we started recording that I actually got to know Jamoka and actually started to feel the feelings that you're talking about, like in terms of, oh, I've met someone who shares an experience with me. Like, I didn't get to know any of that or feel any of that till we did our first recording. Yeah, we met each other on screen, essentially, like yeah. our very first videos yeah. um, on our YouTube channel, which everybody should check out, the Triple Cripples. Um, <laughs> hey, you got to plug. plug the thing. <laughs> plug. Um, but it's just a case of what I was telling Kim and what Kim was telling me, that was the first time either of us was essentially finding that out so every time that kim was surprised by me that was the first time she was hearing that and every time i was surprised by her that was the very first time she was hearing me speak about certain subjects mm. and in some ways it was intentional because for me just based on my i wanted for us to have honest conversations and not like the kind of conversations that are curated because life for me at least up until that point from the minute I got before when I started getting ill or whatever like none of it was curated none of it I was prepared for none of it I understood and so I felt like it was important that we had conversations that were honest and were truthful um, and weren't social media if that makes sense because a lot of you know hi hi I'm such and such and today's video we're going to be talking about, I didn't want us to kind of have that kind of thing because then that would take away from what we were trying to achieve which is actually this is real life this is not um, something that is a gimmick or like is only here for when the cameras are on and also if there were pro if there was problematic stuff that came up so it, so it should because that's what life is like mm. and we'd have to work through those things together on screen. And so everyone would get to do that work with us and they would they would be able to see themselves reflected because it's, it's scary to think you're going to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or am I right for thinking this or am I not right for thinking that? And especially if, for disabled black people, especially, like you are often the only disabled black person you know. 
Mm-hmm. And so it's a very isolating experience. So a lot of the discourse that you would have about these things goes on inside your head with yourself. You can't really mm. have the same conversations with people who don't live the experience in a lot of ways, partially because of the cultural taboo that surrounds disability. And so we learn very quickly how to not talk about it, how to do everything but engage with it directly and minimize it in order to kind of be more palatable, in order to kind of get through the day, in order to kind of deal with life. But if you have at least at least have something outside of yourself to reference and be like, oh, I thought I thought that too. And hearing it out loud sounds problematic, maybe not the right thing. It's it's so much better than kind of existing in your head. Right. Have you guys seen this clip that is going around from um, the new Netflix documentary called Discourse about trans representation? So the argument is that the. um, the sort of like the representation of trans people has also led to more violence against trans people because so often mm. trans people are played by men. And so mm-hmm. it takes away the idea that trans women are actually real women, that they're just men mm. in disguise. And so often disabled people on screen are actually played by non-disabled people. Um, yeah. And, you know, what impact do you think that has? I was, I've been watching the um, discourse documentary actually, and it was quite interesting. There are so many parallels between um, the trans experience and um, in terms of representation and um, disabled people's experience. And in fact, um, in some ways, when I was watching it, I was just thinking, I don't know if they could make a whole documentary about this um, with disabled people. There isn't. There just isn't enough. There's not out enough there material to pro- yeah to provide such a contrasting, full analysis of media's role in the portrayal of disabled people, right? But is it all? It also would it be something that would be done in the same way? And and I think from from the outset you'd have to see disabled people as people to start with, right? And so, in terms of the few portrayals we've seen, most of the portrayals of disabled people that we've seen have been of um, white people, first of all, white um, men. white men, and they'll yeah. be white men, right? Um, I think the only the only one I can think of, and correct me if I'm wrong, that would be um, someone who has some sort of disability or, or a presented disability. I think there would be is it two or is there one? I think there was one. If you think about the guy in the green mile, I've forgotten his name. The idea oh, that he's supposed yeah. to have like a learning difficulty that makes him so innocent and you know lovely, even and just because he's so big and blah blah. blah. And I think of you know all of the big black boys that I think who have autism and who are just gentle giants and that kind of that kind of um, idea kind of joining together and kind of forming that picture but it's never stated in that movie as far as I'm aware and that's the only I think um, there's another one um, Malcolm in the middle I don't know if the actor was actually disabled the little black boy in the wheelchair that was best friend oh yes yeah Yeah, yeah. I never saw that yeah so So there you go there's there's one more but again you know it's male it's it's always and you know, think of yeah. when Malcolm in the Middle was made. Like it's and for that to be those two things to be our reference. Like okay, cool. There are these two major kind of two over the um, past like thirty years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like oh yeah, I saw myself. And so you have to think about what that means, and also you have to think about the positioning of the disabled person within those narratives. Um, they're not nece- they're not a central character. They're not in the same way that trans people haven't been. But there is. 
in terms of the erasure of disability and disabled people, like that is rife, right? And so I, what I know is that um, some of the portrayals of trans people and our ideas surrounding femininity, our ideas surrounding masculinity, our patriarchal ideas and all of those things have, and racism as well, have um, come together and I mean, the root is um, white supremacy, right? But it's come together to create an environment where trans people experience disproportionate levels, trans women especially, disproportionate levels of violence, right? From within and outside of, um, especially black trans women, um, within and outside of the black community, whether it's state violence, whether it's um, interpersonal violence, whatever. With disabled people, if we want to talk about um, disabled, if we want to talk, okay, let me separate them. So black trans women experience um, high rates of domestic violence and femicide along with black women, right? We count black women and black trans women as one. I've made the distinction because when I say women, a lot of people don't trans count black trans women um, and I need you to. Disabled women experience five times higher rates of um, sexual violence and domestic violence, right? Sexual assault and domestic violence. Wow. There are no, there, you can't go anywhere and look up the actual statistics for black disabled women. You can't. But if we were to use the statistics we have already that black women have and um, black trans women have and indigenous women actually have the highest rates of domestic violence and femicide. And then you look at disabled women being five times higher. You have to think that if the world majority is um, black and brown people and let's say 20 percent of a population will be disabled, then a large portion of those disabled people will be black and brown women. Um, and within their populations, if black and brown women are suffering from femicide and domestic violence, they will be part of that group. And so if they are, if the vulnerability of disability increases that, then it just stands to reason that black disabled women experience higher rates of domestic violence and femicide. But that's never ever talked about when we're t when we're having any of these conversations about women's rights and all of that kind of stuff disabled women are never in the room we're never in the room we're never talked about even when it comes to trans rights like we never hear about trans disabled women like it's not this disability makes you invisible in ways that other intersections cannot and do not because disability kind of invalidates your humanity in a way that is accepted generally by all groups and so it's easier then to kind of perpetuate violence against, kind of dismiss, ignore, um, and generally erase us from existence. And, and <laughs> in, in a way that actually is weird, it's, it's actually, it takes, it, it has to take something for you to do so, but it's to the point where people who otherwise would be well-meaning, and I hate that phrase, but would not even, when you mention it, they're like, oh my God, of course. And it's like, even that, the fact that I'm never on your consciousness, even though mm. your whole job in life is to be conscious of every marginalized group. That says enough about um, disabled women, especially black disabled women's positioning in the world. Mm. And even the representation I can think of at the top of my head of, um, disabled people in film and in television which again is usually white men 
their whole story narrative, their whole story arc is the fact that they're disabled. Not like, you know, they get a job and a love interest, they move to a new city and like, you know, things that other films are about. It's like this person is just disabled. Let's talk about it for the next hour and 20 minutes, but it never really Mm. goes anywhere. (laughs) Mm. Well, what you often find, I will say, in terms of the representation, um, as limited as it is, of um, disability and quite often um, white male disability, is the fact that the topic that is so often tackled is um, sex. So uh, there's this uh, new film, I don't know if it's already come out or it's um, coming out, it's called Come As You Are, and it's basically about these um, four disabled guys who are not played, not a single one of them is disabled, by the way, or at least not in the way that they're portraying. Um, on the on the quest to have sex, right? So so often, whenever disability is um, depicted within the media, and it is male, and it is often white, it's just it sticks back to the fact of will somebody still want to fuck me even though I'm in a wheelchair? That's literally all that it's about. But oh. we are here talking about that the fact that outside like the interpersonal is very 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 important and the personal effects um that people go through that is very much valid but what about the fact that you probably won't be able to get an education you you know the level of healthcare that you should be getting is going to be nowhere near that like all of these things that will greatly impact your life outside of the interpersonal those are never looked at as just kind of like oh he's disabled but his penis still works and that's it Mm. And, and and that's and I think that's important as well that it's often disability um, when we are talking about sexuality is to do with it the focus is on male virility and male um, the idea of men still being desirable and they're still a man you know and most of the disa- the art including erotic art that I've seen that depicts disabled people is a disabled man with a non-disabled looking woman right. And that idea that, yeah, but he's still a man, he's desirable. And that just plays into patriarchy, mm. right? The idea that it doesn't matter what a man looks like, what he has, what he doesn't have, he will always be desirable. But a woman doesn't isn't afforded that same privilege. Like a woman has to fit certain ideals and look a certain way. And they have to prove themselves as deserving of and, and worthy and all of those things. Whereas men though we have all of these things that tell us, oh no, women like men with money and women, the amount of men who do not have to adhere to that standard in order to be partnered, it outweighs the ones who have to adhere to that standard. If if that were the case, then we wouldn't have a 1% at the top and um, 99% at the bottom who are teeming with children like it wouldn't exist we wouldn't if that were the if that were the marker like people would have become extinct so there are obviously other things that um are markers for attraction and all of that stuff but the point is we have it's depicted time and again in movies in film in i remember years ago when i was very young i remember seeing this picture of this really 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 tiny tiny um dude and it looked like that because that's how they're portraying it right there was a tall tall blonde model-esque woman marrying this guy who was really short and 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 tubby and not conventionally attractive and just that imagery of saying look this 
A-list, this woman who's supposed to be the epitome of beauty will marry, will, can be married to this guy, this man can get that, is reinforcing in the minds of men that actually you should be able to have anything regardless of where you are and who you are, right? And what you have, what you don't have. And reinforcing to women that this is what you have to be in order to be partnered. So if that's, if that's the epitome of the thing and disabled women aren't even counted in it, of course you won't have a film about um, disabled women, even though, which is another thing, like the amount of disabled women that are sex workers is mad. So it's like, hold on, on the one hand, we're completely erased, but on the other hand, there is um, a huge um, fetishization I will call it because it's I'm saying sex work I'm not saying the amount of disabled women that we are that are depicted as partnered and depicted as you know in loving full relationships or whatever whether they're monogamous or polyamorous or whatever like we we don't get that depiction but what we do know is that sex work is how a lot of people um, view their interaction with disabled women if they exist to them at all. Yes, which is why um, a lot of them, the very first question they'll ask is, can you still have sex? Yeah. yeah. It's like, do your bits um, still work? Like, do your those are those parts that I'm actually interested in. Frontiers. Is that an experience that you can relate to from like dating and navigating dating? Yeah, man, we only talk about what we know, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> And, and mm. that's one of the things we talk about as well. Like people don't have the same sensibilities with um, trans women and disabled women as they do with people that they consider to be um, women, women, full women. <laughs> essentially, yeah. yeah, yeah, they don't. There, there isn't that that pretense of kind of let me pretend to be a decent guy who has respect for you or morals or anything. Let me let me dress my words up in kind of um, frilly things so that it, it doesn't look like what it actually is. They don't they don't bother to do that. Um, they do kind of just come at you with like, ah, oh, like Jamoka says, leg or oh, wheelchair. Can you have sex, though? Oh, I was looking for oh, someone wow. to fuck. Like it's that kind of um, yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, there's no there's no subtlety. Like, no. imagine somebody coming up to you saying, hey, man, I want to put my dick on your forehead. That's it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That is it. I mean, nobody's yeah. ever said that to me, but their actions and the way that they approach you, that is essentially mm. what they are saying yeah. without saying it. And for me, I got big yeah. garden shears, so we can do this. <laughs> <laughs> I think I to be fair to be fair to um the variety of dudes, not all of them come that way. Some of them come with a curiosity. We're being fair to men? Oh, God. No, no, wait, wait, Jamoke, give me a chance. Or let me oh, land. Oh, Lord. Okay, land so, quickly, please. Yeah, let me land. So there are some who approach with a sense of um, curiosity, right? It's like, oh, yeah, um, how are you? What are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. Your name? Oh, yeah, what What can I ask? I don't want to be rude or anything, but what? Can I ask what happened to you? That's, that's usually the second question, what happened to you? And then they'll want to know, like, deep in in they'd be really invested in kind of understanding what what took place that led to someone like you ending up like them right like this like this other group of people that are supposed to look a certain way um and i think it, there's a conflict and it's funny i hear trans women talk about this all the time there's a conflict where they're like I'm not supposed to be, I'm attracted to you, but I'm not supposed to be attracted to you. Mm. So I need to try and get my head around it. So it's either going to come out as aggression or it's going to come out uh, as kind of this kind of, 
under the table exploration of you to kind of get it out of their system so that they can then move on. But it's going to be a secret, right? And um, that can be one of the approaches that people take. But ultimately, where it always leads to is that, okay, so now I've gathered the information medically. What I was really trying to get at was, can you fuck? Because that's that's essentially what I'm trying to get at. As long as I know that it's not contagious and I can't catch the disabled, like it's it's all safe. <laughs> Sorry, that's a disgusting laugh. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh Lord, I don't caught the crap. Oh my god. Yeah, that's literally <laughs> that's literally what it is. Because you realise afterwards that it was just a long-winded way of saying, okay, so I can't catch it and I won't end up in a okay cool. So then I can still stick my dick in it. Mm. And also the the idea that because of this position you're in, you will be um, more willing to acquiesce to whatever sexual mm. desires or fancies they may have. And why would you As refuse? If you're so Nobody grateful. else wants you. Yes, of mm. course. Of course you're grateful. Yeah. Nobody else wants you. And uh, actually I've had someone say to me in And this is a mediocre man. You're like, why would you not want that? I Well, I mean, how can any man be mediocre? Just by virtue of being a man, they're better than me, right? <laughs> of course, they're better yeah. than everyone. They've got a penis. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's like, but people do point blank that, as I said, like it will either be that kind of fake... Uh, interest or aggression will blatantly say to you no you don't you don't get to don't you think you need to fix your attitude considering your situation (laughs) oh my goodness (laughs) do you know what i mean because as far as they're concerned and that's and that's what it is again like you if you were considered and it's not to say that other women don't experience these things but i would i would based on at least my experience of not being disabled for every dude that approaches me in that way and because of my body type as well like i'm a tall um chunky plump black woman with with big breasts and you know and i think there's this idea that somehow because of the hypersexualization of black women like there's this expectation that somehow i'm more sexual and should be receptive to more kind of aggressive sexuality from men than other groups of women but even with that when i was non-disabled there was still some sort of balance between those guys who approached me like that and the other guys who kind of pretended to be decent guys. Now, I'm not saying that most guys are decent guys. I'm saying that the ones who pretended, at least, let's see. Yeah. <laughs> so there was there was some balance, but being disabled, like there is zero balance. Like it's, I'm always surprised when um, a man, at least in the first conversation, doesn't fetishize me or... Um, condescend or insult me in some way. I'm always surprised because I'm like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, because that's not normal. <laughs> Forgot. Do you know what I mean? Because that's yeah. just you have your guards up. You, you've learned to just have your guards up. I'm just ready, and it's not even having a guard up because I'm always. I sometimes, though it's hard to forget. In my, I live in my own world, right? I live with myself. I know myself as Kim. I know myself beyond whatever people perceive me to have as being a disability. So when I interact with people, I often forget until they remind me that my disability is something that should be paid attention to and therefore I'm deserving of lesser treatment. Until they treat me like that, I never remember. But because they treat me like that so often, it takes a few seconds for me to be like, oh, this is the reason that you're coming at me out the side of your neck. Oh, I forgot that I'm supposed to receive this from you. 
Um, and so, yes, I am surprised when it doesn't happen, because if I have an experience or I have an interaction where afterwards I'm like, that was really great. I'm always surprised by it. And um, when I'm dealing with um, men, of course, I, I can't. I can't tell the same stories about um, women or femmes. Um, and I think that's generally because sometimes women's positioning allows them to not be that way towards others because they experience it. But um, yeah, I was going to say that um, just going from you having both sides, experiencing both sides of the coin, what are the ways in which you navigate dating now? particularly in a world where we're like heading into online dating as the norm, like um, beyond the obvious uh, markers of somebody not being condescending or insulting to you in the first conversations, especially as you go on and you start dating. I mean, I don't know if either of you are in relationships now, but how do you get to that, break that hump or get over that hump of like recognizing, okay, this person is a decent human being who kind of gets it and then moving forward. Jamal Kerr? No, uh don't, don't play me. Don't she said, how, how do you experience both sides? Have I experienced both sides, please? <laughs> yeah, but you date more than I do. Yeah, but even even if you haven't experienced both sides in living this life in a dating scenario, how do you navigate beyond that first date? Well, I mean, I don't know about navigate beyond that first date, whatever. Like, I have... Um, very set standards that I'm not willing to shake on. Um, I and I always talk about this. Like with the kind of upbringing that I have, um, you know, I don't know if you were told I'm Yoruba. I don't know if that was mentioned, but um, I, there's an inherent pride that just I feel that you're immediately just like born with. It's like like you're Yoruba, like you hold your head up high, no matter what, you've got pride, you should be proud to be Nigerian, you should be proud to be black, and especially you should be proud to be Yoruba. So, and I was constantly and consistently and still am affirmed every single day. Now, I'm not engaging in hyperbole. Every single day I am affirmed by my parents and I've grown up mm. in this kind of environment. So, when and I'm not saying you know it was a case of I was dating from way back in school like actually I dated um like later in life shall we say but I had that very solid foundation where nobody was gonna come and talk to me anyhow especially not an XY god forbid what <laughs> god for god punish you but like for me, I have experienced um, in the world of dating people, you know, like talk, trying to talk to me anyhow, trying to do this, trying to do that. And I'll cut it off very, very quickly because it is not me that you will disrespect. Absolutely not. Now, what this means is, of course, there are a lot of, let's say, short-lived experimentations. But unfortunately, we live in a society and I'm not saying it because we're in the UK regardless of wherever you are in the world such a premium such um a price has been put upon the male of this world that as Kim so rightly said through the virtue of being born you are better right so this could be absolutely anywhere in the world. And it's not for me to now try and kowtow and acquiesce to them saying, you 
will accept me as I am any way that I come to you. They will try to use my race against me. They'll try to use my gender against me. And they will for sure um, try to use my um, disability against me. But for me, I do not see that as making me less than. I know what I bring to the table. Like, I am the table. Are you nuts? Like, <laughs> I'm not going to put up with any sort of nonsense. And unfortunately, because such a high premium has been placed upon them, a lot of women, a lot of femmes have been taught that whatever they bring to you, you must accept. Even when you see the red flags all up in both your eyeballs, mm -hmm. you'll be like, maybe I could change them. Maybe I could do this. Maybe I could do that. No, how dare they disrespect you and come up to you half formed how dare they and then for you to accept that we've been taught to accept that and i'm not saying that it's different within my household no it is not i'll know from whence i came but i'm not gonna put up with it so i mean for me i mean let's do like women empowerment whatever but just because somebody's offering you something does not mean that you have to eat it like men will come half baked not at all baked like still in the wrapper you got to read the instruction put it in the microwave and then all of a sudden he's going to try and put a ring on your finger and you got to say i do baby girl you do not and you should not <laughs> because no the levels have been so lowered it's like oh wow we went out on a date and he didn't attack me I think I might marry him. <laughs> what? What kind of basement tar pit bullshit is this? It's true. Yeah, 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 like an absolute, absolutely not. And I know, you know, being at these various intersections, you know, there is something like I could have been married from time, but what kind of marriage is that? Where mm. I know you do not value me. You are just using me for what you can get from me. And no, no, like I'm not about that lifestyle. And if you're not going to bring what I want or something that I can work with, I will just wait because a lot of a lot of women, unfortunately, have found themselves in situations where they have invested decades, you guys, decades into men that aren't even worth their eye boogers. Are you kidding me? No. That's yeah, I, I think say that's that. something that we can all relate <laughs> to. For you, when it comes to dating, what are like some of your non-negotiables? Non-negotiable, um, I will, um, ooh, a lot of red flags, but non-negotiables is just kind of like, don't be a trash bag. Like, at the first hint of homophobia, transphobia, this, that, whatever, like, I will dip. Because a lot of times, and I'm not, you know, saying this to diss anybody, but it's just kind of like, it'll come out that this man did X, Y, and Z. And then the woman like beside them, and this is not to put the blame on them, not at all, because men are going to do what men are going to do. But it's always like, oh my God, I'm so shocked. I had no idea he was a neo-Nazi. You are fucking lying. <laughs> you decided to ignore that shit. You decided to ignore that shit when he was looking, you know, at um, a gay couple kissing or whoever doing whatever that, you know, he didn't particularly agree with. Now, I'm not saying it's easy and you can just like call it out because safety is a thing and these motherfuckers will kill you, but, like, you knew they weren't shit, like, way, way, way before. But now they're embarrassing you by doing this shit on the timeline. Now, all of a sudden, you're surprised. You're lying. 
So for me, I will what I will not accept in public, I will not accept it in private. Like you need to step somewhere else. And I won't put up with it. And nobody, especially women, especially femmes, you should not put up with this because our lives are literally on the motherfucking line. And when you are disabled, your life is on the line even more. When you are trans, your life is on the line even more. When you're dark skin, it's on the line even more. When you're fat, it's on the line even more. And that's somebody that you want to what give the benefit of the doubt to. Fam, they've been shown to do certain things. And I'm not saying that you should cancel people like just straight off the jump. But let's, let's, as my father likes to say, Jumoke, be sensible. Let's be sensible because they've been telling you who the fuck they were. Make sure you listen. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> listen, Straight the reason why I let back. her go first is because I was like, yeah, um, so Jamalke's the leader in this department because I can't say that my records depict what she's talking about. Do you know no, what I mean? Absolutely like, not. But it's also like the society in which we've grown up in. You were told to expect and accept less. And accept, I'm just telling yeah. you not to. Yeah. And that's one of the blessings that's come, come out of meeting Jamalke was kind of being able to shed the ideas that my womanhood was tied into and my femininity was tied into my ability to serve, placate and um, acquiesce to men's desires and appear more feminine by doing those things, right? Because I'm six foot something. I'm, according to the world, I'm a fat woman. I'm fairly dark in the summer. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm, I'm what white supremacy has told men is the antithesis of womanhood and so in order for me to counteract that I was taught especially when I was younger that I need to humble myself I'm too tall so I need to make sure that when I'm interacting with men that I don't raise my voice too much that I don't talk too much that I don't try and sound (laughs) sound intelligent that I you know show them that I know how to serve so I need to be able to kind of preempt their whims and and do things that will enable them to see my value because everything about me is a threat to them and actually is contrary to what womanhood should be so I'm already kind of they're they're already making a concession by interacting with me right these things aren't said expressly but they're taught to you you receive the messages through like your your upbringing through programming through op- watching movies for watching films like how what is supposed to happen to when men are supposed to come and even the idea that language we use come and sweep you off your feet no man has come to sweep me off my feet if they're <laughs> going to break their back you know so i have to make up for it somehow by you know appearing more demure and appearing more graceful and ladylike and making sure that i don't laugh too loud and i don't talk too loud and i don't shout and i don't you know challenge them and so meeting Jamalke although yes I was already on the road to that meeting Jamalke kind of made me go oh (laughs) wait you can you can be all of these things and it's okay all of these things don't make you a bad woman they don't make you a bad bad at femininity they that's okay and actually the things that you recognize as wrong and inequitable and terrible about the way in which you're treated or the way in which you see women treated, they're actually, they're actually wrong. And these interpersonal reaction, um, in relations that you have where men are annoying and they just seem like they don't understand basic concepts. It's not you. It's them. It's them. They don't understand basic concepts. Men they are lack annoying. You could sense. just finish their yeah, point yeah, yeah. <laughs> they lack, yeah, they lack common sense. And it's like, oh, because they haven't been, they haven't, been um socialized or from when they were small they haven't been forced to be in a world where they're constantly thinking about other people 
like where yeah. they're constantly thinking about how to accommodate other people, thinking about other people's needs, thinking about how to make stuff happen with very little resource. They're often resources are usually provided for them in that even if there's even if they're in a situation of lack the if there is a, f a feminine person in the house they still are having to make room for the for the men in the house for the boys in the house right and make sure that they have some sort of um space to have resource with whatever little resources there and that idea that yeah as a black woman that's your that's your role your role is to provide resource your role is as a resource to everyone it's hard to kind of shed and so meeting Jamoke was like oh so you mean when I go on dates like when they when they all of a sudden are like oh I forgot my wallet um could you uh, um you're that gonna get one that, still right? pains me that's to this not day, normal to this day oh. It pains me oh it's not normal for them to do that oh right it's not normal for them to say yeah you know I don't really usually go out with people who are your type but you know i thought i'd give it a try your type. like Come that's on. not normal <laughs> oh, oh you know and things that you 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 question in your head but you're so used to being gaslit about it like when you talk to people about it they're kind of like oh you know yeah but he sounds nice you know that thing that people do <laughs> maybe you should like, just no, give it a try you know, there was something not okay about it and blah 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 and they're like mm, you know you should like maybe you need to think about you know opening your mind a little bit and understanding that everyone's different and they use all of these words to kind of just tell you to settle you know yeah. that it's all right time's moving on <laughs> it's like you know this is the dope black women podcast now that we're um going into the space of, or now that we've been in lockdown for god about six months now and you know the nature of dating has transitioned into online have you guys been embracing that is online dating something that you're embracing or something that you shy away from i think disabled people for the most part have had to engage in that um a lot anyway i don't think it's new for a lot of people who have disabilities just in general if you think about the traditional ways in which people are expected to meet people how many of those social settings, at least for someone like me, how many of them are accessible? Mm. A, a lot of places that you'd want to go to meet the people who are interested in the things that you're interested in, they're not wheel wheelchair accessible spaces. And even if they are, am I welcome there? Do you know what I mean? And so it it's like the online space in terms of activism, disabled people have been using that for time. All of a sudden people are using people are like, oh my God, wow. And it's just like, no, this, is, this has been done. We've been doing this. Um, and so in terms of the being online thing, one of the things that I actually noticed, we wrote a blog about this actually, is that with the influx of people who usually don't use um, online dating, finding themselves in a place where they had nothing to do during lockdown and finding a place where they actually wanted to, they have a lot of anxiety built up and so they're finding ways in which to kind of release that anxiety by occupying themselves. A lot of people have inhabited the... Um, online dating space and are using it to pass the time. And I think it has made it a bit more, though there are a lot more people on there, in my opinion, it's a little more toxic in some ways because there is a false representation of what people are on there for and what they actually want. And it makes people who are vulnerable um, a lot more susceptible to that kind of voyeuristic, um, fetishizing gaze um because it's like okay yeah i never usually um pay attention to folks like you but i have the opportunity i've got time mm. 
got the opportunity, let me just entertain myself and see what's going on. And I think for those um, not less discerning, there are a lot of people who will be trying things out and they'll be like, oh yeah, you know, cause it's lockdown. I mean, lockdown's coming to an end now, but cause it's lockdown, okay, let me see if I can do this pretend interaction with this idea of a person, you know, that I would never consider in real life. Because for a lot of people, this COVID, this COVID bubble has been a fake life for them. Like they've been living a life mm-hmm. that they've never lived before. And so they've been adopting personas and habits and hobbies that they have no interest in. And the minute life goes back to normal, they can just drop those and go back to what they were doing before. A lot of people were talking a lot about, oh, you know, let's not let things go back to normal. But I would say that a lot of people were itching for that you know um and it it's it's funny because when the blm thing kicked off and people were going to these rallies and everybody was online like no we need to be accountable and all these companies were like let's do an infographic of 10 pages tell everybody why it's so bad to have racism in the world because racism exists and you know all of that kind of stuff like it was like it was a bubble right a bubble of a, a, a reality that they knew that they wouldn't have to participate in permanently. They knew that they'd be able to put down once everyone had kind of calmed down and, you know, things started rolling again and not everyone's eyes were online. Everyone's eyes would be back to their real lives, right? And so in the same way that people and those companies have put that down now and stopped hiring black folks and stopped, you know, putting people at the front of their campaigns and taken down some of those posts and taken down some of the funding they said they were going to offer. Now that they've done that, it's the same way that people are locking off like the so-called COVID relationships that they had with people who perhaps they would never um, have considered before. Ending those kind of, uh, you know, the promises are oh, we're going to meet, we're going to meet, we're going to meet. Aren't, that meeting is never going to come. And so... I think in some ways just it has, although it's it's cool and I'm sure people have met Quarantine Bay and all of this kind of stuff and they're in mad love. Quarantine Bay! (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what? Pattern pending, Kim. Pattern pending. (laughs) I'm sure like that. No, I can't take credit for that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But no, I'm sure that has happened for some people. But at the same time, I think you'll find for if you were to do a survey for a lot of people, that is not necessarily the case. Um, in terms of navigating the online space for dating, like it's a minefield. And it's, I remember years ago, before I became disabled, one of my friends, I was talking to them about dating. I was like, man, can't meet anyone. No one's, you know, every time I meet dudes, they're just like, they're whack, blah, blah, blah. And she'd be like, it's dating is a numbers game. She'd be like, you have to just Mm. go through and 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 eventually you'll find someone suitable, right? Um, and I feel like it's that. I think the disadvantage for people who whose only, um, I guess, not outlet, their only facility for accessing people who are interested in relationship, if online is their only facility, it reduces the amount of people that they can meet. Automatically it's reduced, right? Because not everyone is comfortable with the online dating space. There's still a lot yeah. of stigma to do with that. Um, and also it in some ways it's a little bit dangerous right there is there are dangers to it especially as a femme as a woman and if i think about it even in my own experience like if you are saying that you want to date someone even before covid and whatnot like and there are limited places you can go eventually at some point you will run out of places that you can go not because 
you have gone everywhere, but because most of the places that would be of interest to both of you, you can't get into or are too difficult to access, right? And then here comes the, well, you can't get into their yard because their yard isn't accessible. So your yard is the only accessible house, right? You can't go to a friend's house, like most of those houses aren't accessible either. And so you already have this dynamic where there is a, an imbalance of power. Mm. You know where I stay. I can't get to where you stay. So even let's say they're a decent person, let's pretend that they're the most decent person, even on a fundamental level, I don't know how you live. Yeah. I don't know how you keep your place. You can be a whole different person you could have dead bodies in your house, for all I know. Thank you. You could be a whole different person with me. You could have a whole person living in your house and I won't know. And I think, and people and people know that. And I think sometimes they capitalize on that, right? Yeah. And so it's, it's a difficult thing to navigate, but there are things you can do to kind of navigate the space. It is a difficult thing for anyone. I, I, I don't think just for... Um, women who have disabilities or black women but I do think that it is a space online in general is a space where people lose their minds so racism is rife and ableism is rife and trans um, phobia is rife and homophobia because people feel like they're faceless and they're behind a screen even though a lot of them have them face up there so it's like if you if I see you in the street I'll know who you are my G I mean but they're counting that I won't see them in the street because as far as they're concerned like anyone in a wheelchair like is paralyzed in a bed so like I'll never see them whatever but it's just like I mean to be fair they're probably the one that doesn't leave their house they're probably the one that's in their <laughs> mother's basement you know what I'm saying Listen, like... <laughs> I, I feel like that's a negative that's a stereotype that isn't true because most of the dudes actually we have this idea that the bad dudes are these dudes who like have who are aimless who don't have jobs who live with their moms who aren't good looking and it's like mm -mm. yeah those are the least of them the ones who generally have the worst attitudes and are the most dangerous are the ones that are known are the ones that are liked are the ones where everybody's mm -hmm. like no they're a decent guy they you know those are the people who are the most dangerous to be honest yeah, yes. he could never yes. do that. He's Thank so nice. You. He would never yes. behave like that. Very it's much the most so. annoying thing to hear in life. Very much so. Very much so. And those are the ones that they and they know that. Right. So which is why they're very good at choosing their prey, as it were. Mm -hmm. They're very good. They know what they're doing. They know who they're choosing. They know why they're choosing them. And they also understand the currency. Right. Of um, who is legitimate and who's not. If my word against theirs, oh, what will that even mean? Some disabled woman is begging it. She wants to, She wants to feel like she's in my league. That's all it is. Like, there's nothing I could say that would convince someone that this dude is actually a pile of trash and did this, this, this and that. And that's often what it comes down to. But yeah, it's an interesting thing. There are, there are, there are things you can do to navigate it, but it, it again comes down to chance. It comes down to time. It comes down to where you are in your journey. If your self-esteem isn't saying a certain level of thing, like there are certain, there are certain things you will accept. There are certain things you'll ignore. You'll see these red flags. You'll see the person like all they want to do is be like, oh no, can I come to your house? Can I come to your house? Can I come to your house? And you'll be like, mm, no, no, no. And then you'll say yes, because you feel mm. like, oh, but if I say no to him, no one else is talking to me and blah, blah, blah. The same things that we all go through, right? Um, and so I think it's just a case of, like Jamoke said, having these unwavering standards. And that's difficult because that's why I like yeah, no, you know, speak I will say, yeah, I will say I'm not saying that, you know, somebody has heard me say, have unwavering standards. They're like, okay, I'm going to have unwavering standards. Like this is 
over 30 years in the making. You know, this isn't something that was cooked up overnight. But I think that's why it's so important to have a network and a support around you that will gas you up, you know, like you need people, you know, within your family, outside of your family, but people that are in your life, they'll be like, they will, first of all, like confirm what you were thinking, like actually know this interaction was terrible and nobody is deserving of that. And they'll also put you steady and like place your feet in the ground like, do you know what, you are absolutely amazing because so often the minute we step out into the world as black women, as disabled black women, there's already so much out there. Actually, even within the home, like the media which we consume within the home, like talk less of like stepping outside, it's telling you that you're not worthy, it's telling you that you're enough constantly and this is um, a centuries still going on a centuries long campaign so you have to have that very solid um those solid people around you that will gas you up when you're not able to do so and then you'll be that for them because it's not every single day that i'm feeling like hot lit fire it's most days mm. i'm not gonna lie now it's most days <laughs> But, you know, sometimes you just need somebody to, like, look you in the face, like, no, like, you are amazing, you're wonderful, you've got this, you've got this, like, you can absolutely do it, because so much of the world is, um, was quite literally built to denigrate us, right? Mm. Now, for me and the people that are in my circle, I'm not going to make that easier for the world, are you nuts? No, I'm going to big up my people because those are my people, and that's who you need around you, like, the people that can cry with you but then the people that can also laugh with you and also like big up your things because for a lot of people like I want you to win but I don't want you to win more than me like yo that's a snake in the fucking grass you need to get rid of them immediately because it's just kind of like there is a condition on this friendship there's a, a condition on this love that you claim to have for me and it's just kind of like if I'm shining you're automatically shining like you're with me we're together so why is that an issue so it isn't something that's easy and, you know, it's something that has to be an ongoing journey. It's a lifetime thing. But if you have those people around you that can do that for you, like, fam, keep them because the world is hard. Like, the world is but actually, I, actually I, hard. I, yeah, exactly. But I also think that the onus shouldn't just be on you and your individual network. That's why we need to create a society yes, that absolutely, does recognise different mm. types of people, different types of bodies, different types of beauty, but also condemns actively misogyny yeah. and misogynoir and violence against women and disrespect and condemns people not being introspective and not doing reflective yeah. work and not doing healing yeah. work in order yeah. to kind of mm. be able to interact with others. Absolutely. It has to be something that comes from the yeah. outside as well because not yeah. everyone has Because you have to network, have that reach. Right? Yeah, you have to yeah. have that reach. Like it needs to be all the billboards, all the TV shows, like all the media that we're saturated with, they have to be saying the exact same things. And as Kim rightly said, it has to be actively condemning the, um, the opposite of that as well. You know, it's just kind of like we can't let these things fly. Like you need to nip it in the bud immediately and you need to nip yeah. it in the bud out loud as well like you like all these companies and whatever organizations you know saying it's like oh yeah black lives matter but then your own home like is on fire like every single black person that has ever worked for you ever has left because of racism but if you don't take that black square down <laughs> <laughs> on on that note actually guys um in one of your blogs you've mentioned that you know Black disabled women are so used to not being heard or believed or listened to. And that's something that you have to contend with. Within the context of female solidarity, how do other dope Black women and the wider Black community just generally, 
how do we better support that? How do we better um, make sure that we're not being complicit through our silence? Um, you know, do you have any advice for building solidarity amongst the Black community as it relates to supporting the dis- Black disabled community and more specifically Black disabled women? Center the margins. We say this all the time, like center the yeah. people who are the most marginalized. Like if you are, mm. whenever you're doing anything, whether you're doing an event, whether you're talking, is is even what is what I'm doing accessible to all people within my community, right? Um, can everyone access this information that I'm putting out? What are the different formats that I'm putting it out in? Who Who is welcome in this space and why aren't they welcome in this space? I can get into this event. Who can't get into this event and why? And if they can't get into this event, should I be there? Do I make sure that the people in charge know that it's not okay that we have this event if they can't be there? If I'm in a group of people and they're talking, making jokes about, oh, that, do, that person over there is a dude, you know, me saying, well, no, that's a trans woman don't disrespect in my own you know in my own circles if I go places and I don't see any they're talking about intersectionality and I don't see any disabled black women I have to be like uh well hello is this really a conversation we can't have this conversation without the people it affects the most and it's kind of just being cognizant and then going and educating yourself right it's really easy in the age of social media to be a passive information acquirer because we have all of these squares going past and they have a little bit of information about things so we think we're experts we think we know we think we understand because you saw a two minute video or a one minute video and it was like oh yeah trans lives matter blah 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 and we're like oh yeah yeah i get it now i get it now and that's it whereas we have to actively if we are really interested in making the world a more equitable place we have to do that work but also we have to demand the people that are in that have positions of power do that work and we have to make sure that they understand that we aren't we aren't going to go along with whatever they do just because they're powerful and just because it benefits us we have to let them know that they need to center the needs of people that don't necessarily look at like us and shop in the world like us in order for us to respect them and take them seriously and i think taking those kind of stands of integrity it takes a lot because some people making those kinds of stands means that their jobs are on the line yeah. means that you know they're and, and it's a decision you have to make but ultimately there are things that you can do in on in the macro and the micro if you are in a group of people and your not everyone's friends group is going to be diverse but we have to then think start analyzing our choices of friendships of partners of all of those things what do i think is what what don't i like to look at when i see when i see a disabled person or when i see a trans woman do i look them in the face do i smile at them do i greet them the same way i greet everyone else are there certain topics i avoid and why do i avoid them and kind of making that part of making it part of our daily discourse because the only reason that black people right now we have some kind of media representation right in 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 some way shape or form none of that stuff would be possible without black women right and especially without black queer folk and so it's kind of recognizing that though those people have been at the center of us and black disabled folk actually though they've been at the center of us being able to gain some ground in terms of gaining some semblance of humanity of respect of access they are being left behind in the conversation and we can't afford as beneficiaries of that legacy to allow them to be left behind they have we have to push them in front and push them up because when their needs are centered 
everyone else automatically gets catered for. We, it, it, it's, it's impossible if I've plugged up all the holes and thought of everything that could possibly happen, that I, who doesn't have any particular needs or whatever, that I will get left behind because the safety net that you've created is so well woven that if I accidentally slip and fall on my way to my privilege, like I will be caught. <laughs> Sorry. I this will is the be second caught. time now. Yeah. <laughs> and and we have to recognize that. And the thing is, who is it? Is it Nietzsche that said first they came for the socialists and I didn't say anything because I wasn't a socialist and they came for this group and I didn't say anything because I wasn't that group. And then they came for me and there was no one left to speak for me. And it's recognizing that all our lives, all our destinies, all of our intersections they're all intertwined because yeah I'm a disabled woman but I'm also a woman you're a woman I'm also black you're black too like and so the things that affect me will affect you even as a woman like a lot of the justice that surrounds my reproduction and all of that affects black men it affects black cis men it affects men it affects women it affects everyone because if we talk about reproductive justice even or reproduction and that all of that research like it was built on the backs of black women and so without my liberation and the liberation of my womb no one else can have liberation of their womb right and so it's important that we recognize the interconnectedness and make sure that we are including that in our daily existence, asking ourselves those daily questions, whether you're on a site, you have to, you have to. And it's it's not easy, no, but you just, it's a habit, it's a habit forming. You have to just start making it a habit. And that's it, you can't, I don't get to choose to be disabled or not. I don't get to choose to be black or not. I don't get to choose to be trans or not. Like it is what it is. And in that same way, you have to do, you have to make that effort to do that. You have to. It's not a choice. You don't have a choice anymore. I'm saying no, you just do it, okay? <laughs> I want to ask, um, Kim, so you've mentioned that um, you weren't born disabled, that this was something that happened later in life. So to follow up from that point, is there anything about, you know, your life before you became disabled that's like, I wish other non-disabled people knew this. Like before I became a member of the disabled community myself, I never really thought about X, Y, Z. I never thought about um, the fact that my experience as a black person, as a black woman, could be more nuanced. I never thought about that. I thought that my oppression and my experience of oppression was the ultimate experience of oppression. I just, I didn't think about the other things that could affect that. I, I recognize that yes, um, queer people had, um, queer black people experienced a certain type of discrimination, but that's as far as my perspective went. It was like, oh no, it's really bad, you know, cause they're, they're still part of the community. Why are they being discriminated against? Why is there such youth homelessness amongst um, queer, um, queer young people and like why is it black people are like that they've got the most youth homelessness of in terms of that in, in in terms of that um statistic and so those are things i thought about but i genuinely didn't think about my daily existence or my daily life in terms of anybody else's experience um permeating that and also there was if i think about it like I wish I'd spoken to elders more as well. I think had I 
had more interaction and this is different for everybody because some people grew up with their grandparents and some people around old people and all of that but I think for me that interaction with them would have possibly informed a part of my con my awareness of what life can be like for people who are invisible for people who no one listens to um, for people who have complex health needs how they interact with the medical system and how the medical system interacts with them how they navigate a world that hasn't been made to accommodate them um, how they navigate a society that actively tries to erase them and negates their achievements that sees them as infants when they have lived full lives who, that silences them um, that abuses them with no repercussion perhaps if I'd interacted with, with them more those are things that I'd, I might have been a bit more cognizant of but also I think had I in terms of things that I wish I'd done <laughs> maybe before I became a wheelchair user I was like um I was on crutches and I was like, oh my God, I can't do anything now. <laughs> you always think that. You always think that whatever situation you're in is the worst situation in it. And it's just understanding that there are other ways in which people live life and being able to just step outside of myself a little bit more so that I could I could utilize my space to uplift other people more. I think we don't, uh, and give people room and give people room and and I think though as a black woman yes you are in terms of socially historically all of these things you are in a particular place in the world hierarchy of gender and um, socialization I think there is there's still room within that um, at least for me there was still room within that for learning and for understanding and for being in partnership and community with people to create equity. I'm sad that it took for me to become disabled to be on the journey that I'm on and to have this understanding. That saddens me because I actually thought I was a decent person. I actually thought, you know, my father says oh, this all the time. Oh, don't beat yourself up. No, 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 but this is, no, but it's, it's real, right? It's real because, and I think about this all the time, especially because of TC, there are a lot of people who don't know me from Adam on the disability activism scene. They know Jamal Kerr. They've seen Jamal Kerr. Do you know what I mean? They know who she is because she's she's a vet. She's been around. Here comes this new kid on the block, just turns up and is like, yeah, so listen to me about disability. Like, I think about that all the time because where I, where was I before I was disabled? Do you know what I mean? And though, yes, um, it's yes, okay, sometimes it takes for things to happen to you in life for you to understand them or for you to get the nuance or for you to kind of, for it to be, for it to arrive on your periphery. But... I only became disabled in like fully in 2012. That's very far ahead in history. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that's it's not it's not like we're dealing with the 1900s or we're dealing with the 90s or we're dealing with the 80s. Like it's 2012. That's not that far away in history. And so it's 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 sad. I'm sad not just because of me and my personal um, in lack of vision, but also because the society that I was in actively separated me from the experiences of disabled people like even in school like we didn't i knew one um uh, guy who wore hearing aids and who was who we thought was deaf right he never said it but he had a hearing aid and he spoke a certain way so we all knew he was deaf in my class that's the only experience that i had until i was i even worked in inclusive theater 
I worked in inclusive theatre. I worked around disabled people. And this is why when white people say, oh, you know what, I have a white, I have a black friend, I have black children. I'm like, shut the fuck up. Because you can be around, <laughs> you can be inside, you can be... <laughs> you can wow, have them inside. Kim actually you said do... inside. I'm inside a black woman right now. How can, can I be but, racist? But thank you. But it, it, doesn't, it doesn't provide you with an automatic understanding or even awareness of what mm -hmm. is happening, what's going on, what the structural inequities are, what the social inequities are, what the microaggressions are, what the macroaggressions you you have no no bearing on any of that stuff, and especially in a society that actively erases, gaslights um, the experiences of those those people, and 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 you know pretends like it's not a thing when it's actively a thing, and a society that's built on those prejudices, that's built on those inequities, and so for me it's like rah, how could I've lived this life and been here and been around people and not not thought of this as a central thing like not within my you know my consciousness and even in my developing of my black consciousness like I never once heard anyone talking about disabled black people or the fact that even during slavery like most people were made disabled nobody we don't even use the language when we're talking about that we don't even use that language because that that's actually what happened. A lot of people became disabled either by occupational hazard or because they were forcibly made disabled. And that goes from not just from the childbearing to the people cutting off limbs, that goes from them being them attempted murder on them and all of that kind of stuff that they, these men were doing. And so, but we don't name it. We never name it because there's this um, taboo right surrounding it and it's partly due to that right it's partly due to the whole kind of <laughs> you can't be seen to have anything wrong with you otherwise that's it you know what i mean in that in that time from that in that legacy of enslavement that plays into these things and even during colonization like that all of that plays into the way in our within our community we interact with disability and so even in black spaces where consciousness is supposed to exist, where we're supposed to be uplifting one another, we are still excluded. And so I just wish that I had had access to, been exposed to and been socialized around people who lived this experience, but also had been able to be in a position to give platform to. And yeah, that's my main takeaway, other than the other things that would just be able-bodied privilege, like, uh, do all the things you can, go paragliding, do this, do that, do the other, blah, 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 because you never know what might happen around the corner. Like, that's what I used to tell my little brothers, like, in the early days, I'd be like, look, look at me, like, you never live know your what's going to happen. Live your life. <laughs> like, live your life. Live your life. You never know what's going to happen. Go on all the trips. Do all the dangerous things because you might not be able to cross the road tomorrow. You know, that's what I used to say. <laughs> but no, now, but you know, like... I will say like following on just an add on from what Kim said, like it's because of this legacy of disability, um, like through um, chattel slavery, that so often mm. like you will see me be speaking with a black person that you know is disabled but they will mm. swear up and down that no 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 they're not like they will try and distance themselves as much mm. as they possibly can from mm. disability like unless mm. until my leg actually falls off and i see yes. it on the floor detached from me i am yeah. not disabled it's like like no mm -hmm. they won't accept it and they won't claim it because that like kim said that meant death and i'm just yeah. kind of no no no, no. like I, I need to keep myself as far mm. away from that as possible 
So I will do everything yeah. that I can to try and mask it and try and hide mm. it and minimize mm. it. And also, it, it's if we come out of slavery and we just because people are like, oh no, but slavery so long ago. It's not really. Um, but if we even talk about <laughs> after that, it's not. But if we talk about and it's still going on in some places in the world. But anyway, um, if we come out of that and we talk about productivity and where black people have been placed and people of color have been placed in terms of economic being able yeah. to access your value economic. Um, privilege of any kind or just access money and being and having to work you you had to work like you had to work to eat to feed I cannot afford to acknowledge that something is going on inside me I can't because if I stop then how am I going to feed my children how am I going to keep a roof over my head how am I going to so in some ways as well as being socialized psychologically to feel like workhorses because that's what we that was that's what happened to us we were made into workhorses you work till you die your life expectancy as an an adult is seven years are you mad like how hard would someone have to work for that to be their life expectancy so you've got a culture of working to death and then also on top of that now you've got a place where you're supposedly free but now you have to work to survive right in a different way i can't even yeah i can't even i can't i can't allow for anything that's happening anything that deviates from the my ability to earn from my ability to survive will get crushed it has to die because nothing can get in the way of my survival we've worked so hard to be able to get to this point like i can't now i've got children depending on me i've got probably a man depending on me because there were there was a time where the men were not able to access um work and some refused because they didn't want to go through that um the humiliation of it meanwhile the women still had to because black women were tied into this idea back to what i was talking about this idea of femininity meant Mm -hmm. that in order to prove that i'm a woman because you men have said that i'm not a woman so much you've said that i'm literally just a whore or a workhorse i need to now say that i'm the best housemaker i'm the best mother and so i'm going to go and do i'm even going to provide for the man do you know what i mean in ways where he should be providing for me and so i'm doing all of this stuff i cannot afford to acknowledge that after i had my last child like my hips aren't working the way they were working my foot there's something wrong with my foot and it hurts every time i wake up like my foot swells up to i have to just go i have to just do and so in a lot of ways like Though I am upset and I'm hurt when I'm discriminated against or when there is ignorance within the black community, I very much understand it. And I think sometimes we have to look at things that go on like these things and we have to look at them as pathologies because like it's literally that there's always there's nothing in history and there's no ism. There's no um, discrimination. There's no there's none of those things that doesn't have a root. All of them have a root all of them yeah 100 percent. i i can't even add to that that was such a powerful way to end the discussion i feel like um i don't know if shan or lives have any anything else to add um, no I, find, I just found this um, conversation really interesting i think i've learned a lot um from listening to both of your experiences and i think what really stood out to me was when you was talking about when Liz asked a question about I can't remember how she phrased it, but basically, like, what had you learned from being someone who was able-bodied to join the disabled community? Because I think there's a lot of things that a lot of us can take on board to be better allies. Because I think sometimes it's not like someone doesn't want to be... It's not someone... Like, for example, I've got a friend who's disabled in a wheelchair, and I always support her when she's doing um, any activism or her work, and I always take the time to get to understand her and her experience, but that's not really enough. 
and, and when you're talking about you know white people being like oh i've got a black friend i feel like that's basically me towards the disabled community mm. even though in my heart apart, yeah. i feel like if i had to be at the forefront fighting for something i would be so i think it's good and that it's a wake-up call for a lot of people and it also shows as well during these times where everyone's not being anti-white but putting a lot of pressure on black people to be accountable this conversation is mm. also putting a lot of pressure on black people to be accountable for our own black allies and i think that's important mm. because if you don't yeah. stand together and unify then what's the point yeah, and also just understanding that so many of the experiences are demystifying the idea that so many of the experiences that you have as disabled Black women are somehow completely separate and apart from what we experience as Black women as well. You know, some of the dating experiences, as you guys have pointed out, have definitely are something are things that we can all relate to as well. And finding that commonality, I think, is is very powerful and useful in engendering greater allyship as well. So thanks so much, guys, for joining us and reminding us not only to never to call back our ex-boyfriends, but yeah. also... <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can call him back if he's coming with money, though. Like, we gotta be, we gotta be sensitive to the situation. <laughs> for sure, for sure. But also to center the margins in intersectionality and always to be aware and cognizant of... As yeah. you said, the most vulnerable and making sure that they're at the center of the forefront of the conversation, which I think is, as Shan pointed out, really difficult or really easy to overlook when you are also marginalized, right? So thanks so much for joining us, guys. I can't um, say enough how much we've learned. And thanks so much for listening. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. Check out uh, Cripp- uh, Triple Cripple as well and their platform. Um, I don't know if you guys want to just shout out very quickly where you where we can find you online. Go ahead, Kim. Oh, so you can find us at Triple Cripples, and that's T R I P L E C R I double P L E S on Instagram and Twitter, and it's the Triple Cripples everywhere else. And you can find us on our website at www.thetriplecripples.uk. Awesome. And for us on Facebook and Twitter, we are Dope Black Women. And on Instagram, we're Dope Black Women 1. We'll be back with you next week. Until then, stay blessed and unapologetically black. All the way black. Black to be black. All black everything. Blacktastic. Hey! Hey! Come through, come through.